This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem Falamma anjaa al-bashiru alqahu ala wajihihi fartadda basira قال ألم أقل لكم إني أعلم من الله ما لا تعلمون رب الشرح الصدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد once again everybody السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته today I try to discuss with you some lessons I've come to learn from ayah number ninety six of Surah Yusuf. Uh, I've titled, as you can see in the video, I've titled this, Didn't I Tell You? Because that is actually part of the phrasing inside of the ayah. So let me start right away by translating it for you. You guys recall yesterday we talked about how he was being taunted and he was the recipient of the aggravation of his extended family, meaning the his grandchildren. Even according to Qurtubi, this conversation took place between him and his grandchildren. Um, where he, you know, uh, they were uh, basically calling him insane and how... You're just you're still so committed to your old confusion, and you're still lost, and you're practically insane, and things like that. And he even said it. I'm going to say this. Uh, and had you, had it not been that you called me insane in this way, then you probably would have scented this scent also. Allah would have gifted you this gift also. But you can't see it that way because you've you've shut your eyes and you've shut your senses to that dimension, meaning the dimension of faith. You just don't see it that way. Now weeks have gone by, days have gone by, and this. You know, abuse continues and finally the caravan has arrived. And this is the ayah about the caravan arriving. I remind you yesterday I said that in the Quran, ayah after ayah, the scene progresses very quickly. So you might feel like this happened in a split second. He had this exchange with his grandkids and his you know, daughters-in-law. And then immediately after that, the, new, the good news came. That's not the case. This is actually describing something that took a long time. And if we pay close attention to the language, that actually does become clear. So the ayah is فَلَمَّا أَنْجَاءَ الْبَشِيرُ Then finally when it came to pass or it so happened, it actually occurred that the giver of good news came along. The, the congratulator came along. Now obviously who's the congratulator? That'll be a discussion. But that's the language. Al-Bashir, the one, the, the one who gives good news. Al-Qahu ala wajhihi, He cast it upon his face. Obviously the shirt doesn't have to be mentioned by name now because we know what's supposed to be cast on his face. So when finally it, it so happened that the, the giver of good news came along, he cast it on his face. And he restored, he became restored to his state of being someone who can see. Basir meaning someone who is able to see. He said, didn't I tell you? Certainly I know from, it is I who knows from Allah what you don't know. That's the ayah we're discussing today. Okay. Uh, there's an outstanding discussion from last time that I want to bring to your attention before we get into today's conversation. And that is yesterday we saw that in ayah number 95, Allah didn't say Yaqub said, or the father of Yusuf, Abuhu, his father said. Uh, it, it, the language is, or simply the, just the pronoun, he said. Instead, the language is their father said, Abuhum. Right, this is significant because... He's been attributed as the father of theirs, inna abana lafi dhalalim mubin, 
or in the case of Yusuf salam, go give this shirt to my father, right? So he used Abi. Inna lahu aban. He has a father. So the pronoun he, my, your, our, their, that's been you know varying when it comes to father. In this particular ayah, Allah chose to tell us to describe Yaqub not just as the father of ya- of Yusuf, but he described Yaqub as their father. Now who's they? Technically, he's the father of all of his kids, right? But they're not there. They're in Egypt or they're on their way back. So in a sense, what it's expressing is he's the father of the entire clan. So even when they're gone, he's the father of the grandkids too. You know? So, and in saying that, what does that imply? Well, you know, the Qur'an's timeless teaching, which is even pre-Qur'anic, is ihsana, That you have to be the best you can be to your parents. And the honor one is supposed to you know, direct towards their mother and their father is a timeless principle of this religion. And by using the word abuhum, he is the, he's worthy of their respect twofold. He's not just their father, he's their father's father. Is illustrating the contrast between the way in which they spoke to him and the way that he's become accustomed to being insulted. He's become accustomed to feeling that way, even though he's their father, as if Allah Himself subhanahu wa ta'ala is offended. How dare they talk to their father that way? This is important for us for a lot of reasons. This is actually the family of Ibrahim alayhi salam, very directly. Right? So these are these aren't this is not a family of like Nuh alayhi salam where he's the believer and his family is not believers, right? These are all Muslims. These are everybody in the family is Muslim. What are we learning about sometimes a dysfunctional Muslim family? That the dysfunction isn't that some people are believers, other people are not believers, and that's why there's a conflict inside the family. But actually, every member of the family in this case is Muslim. They all believe in Ibrahim alayhi salam. They all believe in Ismail and Ishaq. That's all already established. That's already there. It's a given. They even call on Allah, right? Tallahi. So that, that's not the issue here. But what we're learning is just because you're Muslim and just because you have a good upbringing environment around you, even because even if you have a good role model around you, doesn't mean that you uphold your, your faith in Allah, doesn't guarantee that you uphold the values that this deen comes with. So what, ha- what can happen in the life of a Muslim is that they can hold on to some parts of their faith as part of their identity and let go of other parts of their faith as if they have nothing to do with their identity. Let me be more specific. Somebody can pray. Somebody can do dhikr. Somebody can look the part of a very you know, uh, uh, sincere believer. They can, you know, like uh, it's, I, I find it interesting Sometimes people comment on, brother, can you please put a cap on your head? Or can you make your beard longer or trim your mustache shorter and things like that? People have these comments about my appearance. I find it entertaining personally because uh, not that I'm making fun of their, their understanding of the religion. But alhamdulillah, I've got, I had a chance to study these things and I understand them to a certain extent for myself. I don't talk about fiqh issues in, on my public platform because that's not my area of expertise. I study that part of Islam for myself and for my family. I study the Qur'an as something I want to learn and something I want to teach. But other aspects of Islam are actually personally for my own benefit. So when I'm about to go to Hajj or Umrah, I'm going to study the fiqh of Hajj and Umrah. If I'm about to, you know, if, if I'm about to engage in any you know, sort of ritual, or if I'm about to you know, do something that I need to understand the rituals of our religion, I'll study that carefully for myself. 
because there, these are matters in which there are differences and there are scholarly discussions. And sometimes these questions illustrate how little people have you know, access to scholarly discourse that is very classical on some of these things. And it's because of the culture that they're surrounded by. They see Islam in a certain way. And they're not able to see it outside of that bubble. The historical bubble of Islam is much bigger. And the contemporary bubble of Islam is much smaller. Right? So you're around a certain group of Muslims. You see Islam is limited to that. But any, coming back to this subject, why am I bringing that up now? Because what can happen is somebody holds on to their faith, their prayers, their rituals, their appearance. They're very particular about how long their beard should be or what, you know, how, how, you know, what kinds of pants they should wear and things like that. All of that is very particular. Or what kind of food is halal and not halal and haram and all of that. But there are other dimensions of the same religion, like respect for parents, like patience, like you know, when you're engaging in not raising your voice, in ankara al-aswati la sawtul hamir, the ugliest sound is the, the braying of a donkey. Waqdul min sawtik, the wisdom given in the Quran is lower your voice. Obviously, nobody's raising their voice when they are having a normal conversation. It's in conflict situations that people raise their voice, right? So what the, the advice being given is in conflict situations, lower your voice. But those things, even people that are ritualistically religious, identify themselves as Muslim. When it comes to the manners of Islam, it's like that doesn't even exist in the religion. It could be that they're observing the appearance, like a, you know, a young girl could be wearing a hijab and observing the five prayers and still disrespects her mom, still disrespects her dad, still lies, still openly falsely testifies. That can happen. So what happens is sometimes we pick one part of the religion and we say, well, that's, that's where my Islam stops. The rest is my own domain. Right? And that can, it's a pretty scary thing because if that can happen in the family of a prophet who will obviously teach the holistic deen, he's not going to teach them the religion in portions. Well, you just hold on to the beliefs and the rituals, but the ethics and the morals and the manners, that's not something to worry about. He did his job teaching. Sometimes it, the, the example my teacher used to give, and it's actually taken from uh, Ali Imran because of the, uh, the, the way in which Maryam was raised. So I'll give you that analogy. Sometimes you have a garden and you put the seed in the garden. The soil is perfect. It's the right kind of soil for growing plants. Because, you know, if you have the wrong kind of soil, it's not going to give the nourishment to the plant. Right? So you have the right kind of soil and it's getting the, just the right amount of water and just the right amount of nutrition and just the right amount of rain and just the right amount of sunlight. Everything for the growth of this plant is its perfect conditions. But there's something wrong with the seed itself. Right, so you planted three or four different seeds. Some of them are coming out beautifully. They're all getting the same sun, the same water, everything. But there's something, one seed is refusing to take advantage of all the nutrition that is coming its way. You understand? Sometimes it so happens that you are in a good environment. You are surrounded by the opportunity to correct yourself. You're living, in this case, you're living in the family of a prophet, for God's sake. And the, the father figure of your family is a prophet of Allah. And you are from the heritage of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Right, and it's so you have to appreciate the irony. You can be in the most nurturing garden and not grow properly as a plant. Right, that's the analogy. And what is the analogy of Ibrahim alayhisam? You could be in a desert and grow a perfect plant. Right, because he was he was surrounded by a hostile environment that has nothing to do with nurturing your faith. Everything in his environment was wrong, and he grows up, or he he turns into this profound tree of faith. Surrounded by nothingness, surrounded by the desert. 
And now he wants this tree that he's become, its seeds to become a garden. And now that's supposed to become even more so that the, nature, the future generations, it's even easier for them to hold on to their faith. They don't have to go through the hostility that Ibrahim salam went through. That's what he passed down. And now he's got sons. Those sons have grandsons. Those grandsons have great-grandsons. And they're all believers. And they all know what their father went through to hold on to this faith. And they all have come to know Allah. And they've left the ways of shirk. All of that's happened now. And they understand the institution of prophethood. And yet their manners are no different than someone who had no knowledge of Islam. No, no, no different. That's a scary reality. And in, teach, in sharing that with us, Allah has taught us that this is one of the things that can easily be forgotten in the life of a Muslim or in Muslim family life. That we may hold on to Islam, but we may let go of the manners that come with it. We may let go of the treatment towards each other that come with it. That's a very easy thing to let go. So you don't, you don't even have regard for your grandfather or your father or elders in general. Or little siblings are you know, talking to older siblings like they're garbage. And you know, there's a culture now. We were, yeah, obviously, we're, we're exposed to lots of things that previous generations, even a decade ago, even kids five years ago weren't exposed to. Kids are playing video games now on social media. Right, people have screen names. People are, you know, foul mouthing each other, trash talking each other. You're garbage. You're this. You're that. You know, and there's a lot of like self um, aggrandizing. I'm number one. I'm gonna kill everybody. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. Like there's a, it's a culture of like uh, demonstrating how amazing you are and celebrating your own greatness in sports. Well, whereas you know, when somebody made a good shot back in the day, if you really know how to play basketball and you made a good shot, and other people. You know, came, give you a five, but the one guy who made a shot is like, yeah, number one. This nobody wants to play with that guy, like no, because they're too obsessed with themselves. You understand? But now that's become kind of a thing. Where you, you're, you're self-absorbed, and if you allow that culture to permeate, guess what happens? Then you're too big to be corrected. You're too big for your mother to correct your manners. You're too big for your older brother to tell you clean up your plate. And this disrespect culture, which is already, the, that's the norm online, disrespect culture, now becomes a part of a young man or a young woman's personality. And they bring that into the family. They start bringing that language, that demeanor, those facial expressions, the rolling of the eyes, uh-huh. Like if you're talking to your kid, and one of your kids goes, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Boy, that... You might as well use the worst filthy language because that is disrespect at its highest. That is not acceptable. That, that's not going to fly. What I'm trying to get at is this can make its way into a believing family. They could still pray. They could still memorize the Quran and the Tajweed would be perfect. But they're still turning into monsters. They're still turning into monsters. That's not okay. And that's something that has to be addressed. Anyhow, so that was an outstanding item. Abuhum. Perhaps the phrase Abuhum also their father is contrasting that their, it's their father who received first and foremost the wrong news with the scent of blood, the fake blood on the shirt. And it's now their father who even if they don't present to him the truth, even before they present it, he knows that good is coming. It's almost like it's contrasting before the bad happened, he had a premonition that bad is happening. It's about to happen. I'm afraid a wolf might eat him. Some harm will come his way. I don't want to let him go. Right? He hasn't let him go, but the fear has already dawned on him. And he's got a feeling that something bad is about to happen. To the point where he told his son not to share the dream. Remember early on in the story? It's the opposite now. And it's, the, it's kind of an ilham also, but a positive one. 
Good news hasn't even come yet, but he has a feeling it's coming. Just like bad news hadn't even come yet, and he had a feeling that it was coming. So that that's an interesting contrast with the word Abuhum. Another uh, comment that is uh, recorded in the Fasir. I, I took the Arabic excerpt. Let me read that to you first and then explain to you because I thought it was a nice insight about the previous ayah. The people of, that seek deeper meaning into the ayat of the Quran have said. So this is a generalization. So it's not attributed to one scholar in particular. In Allah Ta'ala awsala ilayhi riha Yusufa alayhi salam indan qida'i muddatil mihna wa maji'i waqtil rawh wal farah minal makanil ba'id. That uh, uh, Allah Azza wa Jal gave, brought him this, this scent of Yusuf alayhi salam um, at the end of a period of great trial and difficulty from such a faraway place. Um, according to them, it's thamanin sana. I don't, I don't think it is. But anyway, it, he's saying, and yet. For decades, even though he says 80 years, um, for decades, Allah prevented any news of Yusuf reaching the father, even though the lands are not that far away from each other. Right? So now he's hearing about the sun by way of wind, by way of ascent. Now he's getting sense of the sun. And all these years, he has no news of the sun, even though the lands are right next to each other. They're not that far off, right? And so he says, وَذَلِكَ يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ كُلَّ سَهْلٍ فَهُوَ زَمَانِ الْمِحْنَةِ صَعْبٍ فَهُوَ فِي زَمَانِ الْمِحْنَةِ صَعْبٍ وَكُلُّ سَعْبٍ فَهُوَ فِي زَمَانِ الْإِقْبَالِ سَهْلٍ It can be that things that are generally supposed to be easy. When Allah is putting someone through trial, when they're going through a trial, easy solutions become impossible. And when Allah wants to bring relief, the most impossible solutions become possible. So sometimes when someone's going through trial, the solution may be really easy, but it's still impossible. Like for anybody else, it would be easy, but for you just won't happen, right? And for other situations, it could be when Allah wants to bring use to you, the circumstances are impossible, no science can explain it, and yet Allah opens the door. And that's the nature of trials. Sometimes you say it's happening, that it's working out for everybody else, how come it's not working out for me? Somebody's applying for a job, they've got a great resume, they've got the perfect you know, experience, they've got all these credentials behind them, you know, their, 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 their skill is high in demand, and yet they can't find a job. And then there's somebody else who has no credentials, no experience, their resume is a blank sheet of paper with just their name on it and their birthday, you know, and they get a job in two days. And they, or they both get a job, and the one with high qualifications is getting paid than the one with low, no qualifications is getting paid more. And you say, how come it's easy for him? How come it's hard for me? Because sometimes for some people, Allah creates a pathway of ease. And sometimes even though all the means are there, Allah wants them to go through a valley of difficulty before they reach the ease. Right? So that's actually Allah teaching us through this surah that it has nothing to do with how close or far you are from Allah. That Allah will give, give relief. That Allah will have you go through trial. Because ease is a trial and difficulty is a trial. They're two different kinds of trials, but yet they are still trials nonetheless. It's remarkable that in the Qur'an, you find an attitude taught to Rasulullah wasallam in two very different circumstances. When things were overwhelming, and Quraysh were insulting him, even resorting to torture at that point, and things were becoming really overwhelming. 
What was he told? Sabih bihamdi rabbika qabla tulu'i shamsi wa qabla al-ghuroob. You just declare how perfect Allah is. You busy yourself with reminding yourself and declaring the perfection of Allah before the sun comes off, comes up and before it goes down. The circumstances are imperfect, but Allah is perfect. You remind yourself of that. Just focus on this. And then, so this was in times of difficulty, he was told basically to do tasbih. Yeah? And then victory comes. Makkah is conquered. All the enemies have been subdued. إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ when victory comes, when people are entering into the religion in droves, do tasbih. Wait, you said do tasbih when times are hard. Now you're saying do tasbih when times are easy. You know what that's teaching us? That's teaching us a believer will go through difficulty and a believer will go through ease. And in both times they must remember Allah is perfect. None of the difficulty is not a time to blame Allah. And ease is not a time to take credit for yourself, man. Finally, I overcame. Now you didn't overcome, bro. Or sis, Allah brought you out. That's still a time to remind yourself of the perfection of Allah. So, the, and also to remind yourself that even when ease comes, that ease isn't endless. Just like difficulty is not endless, ease is not endless. This life is just up and down. Everything in it is waves. You know? Night and day, keep succeeding each other. You know, storm and calm, storm and calm, storm and calm. Life and death, life and death, life and death. This life is constant change. Ease will not stay permanently, difficulty will not stay permanently. Now coming back to the ayah. And by the way, just to establish, you know, I said he is talking to his you know, extended family. Uh, even Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah, when, he, when they were insulting him and I said he must be talking to his extended family, this is from Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah, أَيْ قَالَ لِمَنْ حَضَرَ مِنْ قَرَابَتِهِ مِمَّنْ لَمْ يَخْرُجْ إِلَى مِصْرَ وَهُمْ وَلَدُ وَلَدِهِ That meaning when he was talking, he was talking to those that are relatives of his who didn't go to Egypt, meaning the kids of his kids. Others said not, not all the sons went back to Egypt, uh, but I, believe, I do believe he sent all of them. That seems the more plausible explanation. Now for the ayah of the day. Then finally, when the giver of good news came. So the first thing here is for, for grammatical purposes, um, and it's something I want you to develop a thirst for, the relationship between Arabic grammar, uh, syntax, and its connection to meaning. It's a really beautiful thing. Like grammar seems like such a hard thing to study. Like it's almost as entertaining as a root canal, you know, but... It's not. It's actually really fun. And once you get into it, it's an addiction. It's, a, it's, it's such a high because then you start discovering things about Allah's word, you know, and insights into Allah's word that the translations aren't designed to tell you. They're not, it's not a fault of the translator. They're just not equipped to... The translation isn't a mechanism by which some of these discussions can even exist for anybody. But for those of you that are interested in a little bit of Arabic grammar, and for those of you who'd like to quench or develop a thirst for it, and I'm saying all this because I'll be teaching Arabic soon and I hope you join me. An. An actually, it's, it's considered za'idah here. Meaning you can say, فَلَمَّا جَاءَ bashir Translation would be then finally when the giver of good news came. The congratulator came. And now you have an an in there. And technically it's considered za'ida, which means an add-on uh, preposition, which would mean that the translation is virtually the same than finally when the giver of good news came. So the translation is not quite capturing the un. We have to do something to, to address that. 
So an has been explained in two interesting ways. One way I'll take from Ibn Ashur, more from his uh, uh, elaboration. He says this is an litawkid, watahqiq, meaning that this is an emphasizing an and it's materializing. Now, what does that mean? That means previous ayat were I sent, I can sense the scent of Yusuf. I find it over and over again. And their kids, the kid, the grandkids said, "Oh, you're still in your old craziness. Come on." And actually, when the good news came, when the giver of good news came, meaning when in actual fact, his words were proven true. So the un makes it an actual fact as if now it's like they got face palmed. Right? They, they, they got owned because the, the news has come true. So when the truth of it came out, is captured inside the word un. Imam Fakhruddin al-Razi says that an may represent a fi'il mahzuf, which we can call a, an omitted verb in English. So, فَلَمَّا ظَهَرَ أَنْ جَاءَ الْبَشِيرِ Which is very similar in meaning, when it became apparent, or when it came, when it so happened, ظَهَرَ When it so occurred, that the giver of good news finally came. So it's actually continuing the irony of that conversation before. They were poking fun of him. And when in fact he did come, and that's that dramatic shift is actually inside the word. And it's really quite beautiful. And there's these two explanations that eventually lead to the same thing. But now let's talk about who is this giver of good news. Uh, I'll summarize the classical tafsir commentary. It's pretty consistent on what, who this could be. Bashiru qila huwa shamun. Bashir, it said is one of the brothers, Shem'un. So one of, the, one of the brothers of Yusuf. وَقِيلَ Yahuda, And it said Judah. Judah. Mean Yahuda. قَالْ أَنَا أَذْهَبُ بِالْقَمِيصَ الْيَوْمِ I will go with the shirt today. كَمَا ذَهَبْتُ بِهِ مُلَطَّخًا بِالدَّمْ Just as I went so long ago when it was riddled with blood. Meaning, I was the one who gave him the shirt stained with blood. I'll be the one to give him the shirt that tells the truth. Qalahu ibn Abbas. This has been attributed to Ibn Abbas. According to Suddi, uh, he also said to his brothers, the brother that went with the shirt, You guys all know I took the shirt of grief, of grief and calamity to him. Let me now take the, sh- the, the shirt of joy to him. So, in these narrations, the story gap is being filled. The question, because it doesn't say one of the brothers went. It says the giver of good news went, right? So who is that giver of good news? The explanation has been it was one of the brothers. I personally am not convinced of this view. Not everybody accepts this view. It's not coming from like irrefutable, authentic narration. So it's not like we have to take it as an ironclad evidence. There is room for discussion here. And I've had some interesting discussions with uh, Sheikh Suhaib about what this could mean, because we have to also understand when the Qur'an was being recited, its original audience in Mecca, not everybody was running to Ibn Abbas and asking what it means. Right? They were hearing these words and they were processing them as they were hearing them. You understand? And so there are, there's a there's an dependence also on the text itself to be self-explanatory at some level. and Or call for contemplation at some level. So now, what are the other possibilities? Well, one certain possibility is Al-Ir, right? The caravan. And the, because the caravan is an official royal caravan coming from the wealthiest nation in the land, Egypt, the fact that it's coming towards the village, those of you that watch Erturul, 
when the when whenever somebody's coming towards the village, they you know hear the drums and they see the flags coming in, and then they all come out and they're like, "Good news or bad news," you know, and they have like eight eight minutes of crying or whatever happens. But anyway, the point is when when a, when a procession comes to a village, it is uh, it's not a small thing. You don't just enter a village. This is a pretty big deal that's coming in. And it looks from afar because of the colors and the celebration and the gifts that it bears that it's coming with good news, right? And it could be that the brothers are in it, but they're, here's the reason that made me skeptical that it's one of the brothers. Allahu Anam. Maybe it is the brothers, but the reason I'm skeptical is these guys went and lied to their father to his face and then yelled at him for even bringing up anything to the contrary for years on end, yes? I have a hard time imagining that one of them walks in and Allah describes him as the bringer of what? Good news. Hey dad, guess what? We've been lying to you all these years. Here's a shirt to prove it. He's alive. You, you were right. We were, we were just messing with you. And all those insults we hurled at you and called you crazy for thinking he's alive. Yeah, it was all a lie. But so I'm so happy that it's all okay now because he's alive and here's a shirt. <laughs> I just don't see it. I don't, you could see if somebody, if, if, if I was, I put myself in that position. If I was the one who gave the false shirt and now I have to bring the right kind of shirt, I wouldn't be the giver of good news. I'd be the, I'd bear a huge deal of shame and come before father crying, apologizing before I confess that that's the shirt. You understand? Like it's not, I wouldn't describe myself as the bringer of good news. I would bring, I would describe myself as the bringer of a confession first and foremost, right? And it would be actually pretty disingenuous for someone who has committed such a heinous crime to come in and act like that crime never happened. Hey dad, guess what? He's alive. <laughs> what do you know? Wolves aren't that good at eating. You know? As if you want to gloss over your crime and let's just focus on the positive, right? Let's just, let's not make this a negative occasion. <laughs> That's really disingenuous. You should own up to the wrong that you did. So for those basic psychological reasons, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the Bashir being one of the brothers. So what other possibilities are there? It could be that because they've been told to go with along with a caravan, none of them can find it in themselves to... Um, Face father. So they take one of the royal employees, one of the servants of Yusuf and say, could you take the shirt, please? That's the house over there. And so this representative from the royal kingdom that is run by Yusuf comes in. Excuse me, sir. Are you Yaqub, the father of Yusuf? You know, and, and etc. And he says, yes, I am, sir. I come on behalf of your son, Yusuf, and gives the good news and hands him a shirt. And there's kind of this, this, you know, uh, He's officially the bearer of good news. I get you guys are so Islamic because you're on Facebook, so you don't watch movies and stuff. But in movies, sometimes Astaghfirullah al they have like kings that send the bearer of news, like the king's announcer. He comes on a horse, he comes down, he opens up a scroll and says, "Hear ye!" Thus announces the king, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it could be that he's giving a warning, or it could be that he's giving good news, right? And sometimes when he bears good news, he becomes the Bashir. So it's actually this Bashir who's coming, this giver of good news that's coming and, and, and telling uh, Yaqub alayhi salam. And that's to me is one plausible explanation. It could also be that the caravan itself, the Eid itself, its procession at large can be considered the bearer of good news. When the caravan arrived, 
meaning the scent got that close. And the, the details of how the shirt was given to him has been kind of omitted, but it's been the, the gap is filled by our imagination, clearly, because it doesn't have to be spelled out. That's the second explanation that the Bashir could refer to the caravan at large. But I like Suhaib's suggestion the most, the, the third suggestion. And that is something that actually occurred. There's a, there's a shahid, ironically. There's an evidence for it in the surah previously. You remember in this the case of the... Um, when the shirt was ripped from behind, that scene. One of the witnesses testified. Right? And some of Asirun actually suggested that that witness is the shirt itself. The shirt itself testified. Even though that wasn't a very plausible explanation then to attribute the shirt to be the witness because it says from her family. The shirt isn't from her family. So it didn't fit. But actually here, the word Bashir can actually serve the purpose of the shirt because the actual bearer of good news the actual bearer of the heavenly scent of Yusuf is who? is what? the shirt itself so when the shirt itself arrived so al-bashir could actually be al-bashir wa huwa al-qamis so the shirt itself arrived so there are these possibilities of the shirt and uh, the shirt or an emissary or the caravan at large or one of the brothers those are the possibilities of what the good bearer of good news is and i i do think that there are multiple possibilities here allahu ta'ala alam anyway so but but that affects the re- interpretation of the rest of the ayah so let's just go with the shirt for now let's see how that affects the interpretation well it says the ayah says he cast it on his face. He cast it on his face. So one, if it was a brother, then the brother cast it on his face. The brother, the brother, you know, gently, you know, put it on his face or hand it to him to put on his face. Or if it's a servant, he put it on his face. He's lying in bed. He's, you know, he's sick. And now he's being, it's being placed on his face so he can smell it. But if it's the shirt itself, meaning when the good news, the shirt itself came, he grabbed the shirt and he put it on his face. Like there's this remarkable scene where he's just drowned in this, his son's shirt. He's drowned in his son's shirt. You know, when you miss one of your kids, mom, sometimes when, when your kids get older, the son travels to college or goes somewhere and you find one of his shirts in the closet or in the laundry. And what do you do with that shirt? Oh, my baby is well, my baby. And dads do it too, by the way. <laughs> right? This idea of just being emotionally drowned in the joy of that scent. He smelled it, he smelled it. It was getting smaller and getting stronger and getting stronger and getting stronger. And finally, the good news itself is here. The good news is the shirt itself. And he just got it on his face. The happiness was already there. It was building and building and building despite the negativity of his family. We already saw that. And now finally, as he put it on his face, basira, he became one who can see again. Irtidad here, irtidad is when something goes back to the state it used to be. So he went back to being someone who can see. He went back to undo his blindness. Now there's discussion about whether or not he was actually blind or his eyesight became extremely weak. Besides the point, miraculously, the emotional healing led to his physical healing is what the Qur'an is saying. 
Now that could be divine intervention And it could also be an insight in the Quran About how if you have caused someone wrong Then make it right And perhaps their physical pain may go away You may be able to get rid of their physical distress By alleviating the harm you may have caused Or giving them that physical relief In this case it's the shirt that serves that purpose قال, He said Now we get to the fun part So He's lost in the joy of the shirt. The tears of joy are rolling off of his face. Maybe he's crying, Yusuf, 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 my baby, my boy, my boy. And he's lost in that joy. But now who's around him? By this time, the sons have arrived. The extended family who kept calling him crazy for talking about Yusuf is all standing there with their jaw dropped. You know how sometimes in cartoons they show the, the character's jaw drops to the ground And then the tongue rolls out like a rolling carpet It's like that kind of a scene They're all like Ugh. Like you, you got owned All of you, all y'all got owned right now And you're all standing there And the government officials are standing there Honoring Yaqub And all y'all are feeling like We've been insulting the king's father We've been humiliating him And how, how immediate you, Your behavior towards him is going to change Because he got back now. He, he got security behind him now. He's an official royal immediately. You understand? So <laughs> the scene in the family and how they perceive him and what they, you know, what they were to him and what they have to be to him now has immediately changed. And this is for the first time where he is not a powerless old man who's losing his sight and his health, bedridden. He is in a position of put, lay the smack down. He's in a position of put them in their place for the first time. He could actually now, oh, you're going to get it. So what he said, well, here's, let me just, before I tell you, I tell you what he said. Let me tell you what he didn't say. Didn't I tell you Allah will help me against the lies you come up with? Remember when they came with the shirt? Didn't I tell you you're a bunch of liars and Allah will help me? Didn't say that. If وَغَضِبْتُمْ you made up this lie and all these years you were angry at me? You were the ones insulting me? When you did the shameless act and you called me insane? You had the audacity to do this to me? For all this time? This is what you did? How do you even look at yourselves in the mirror? That's not what he said. How much did you torture me? Do you realize how much you put me through? Year after year after year? Not one day did you feel remorse for my tears? And that's not what he said. What a, how disgusting is what you people have done. You call yourselves my sons? Get lost, I don't want to see you. Shame on you. Shame isn't even the word. I don't even know what to say. That's not what he said. I mean, that's what I would say. I'd do more. I'd say less, I'd do more. I'd find a well. <laughs> I'll chuck them in one at a time and see how it feels. I'll check back with you in a week. I, I would be, in after the joy, now it's time to make, retro make right. And even the last time he sent them, he said, he mentioned Yusuf and they got angry at him. Remember that? That's not even years ago. That's the last time he saw them. That's the last time he saw them. And none of this is coming out of his mouth. This is where I'm in shock about this man. 
I, I'm just in awe of Yaqub What kind of heart Allah gave him? What kind of what kind of father he is? Really, at the end of the day, he's being depicted not just as a man of patience, he's being depicted over and over again. Allah didn't even say the name Yaqub. He kept saying father, 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 isn't he? He's emphasizing something. The character of a parent, of a father figure, of a father. I'm reminded of uh, Ibrahim salam, whose number one concern was وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِي What about my kids? His concern was for the well-being of people in front of Allah. It's human to be overtaken by grief and by trauma that hasn't been resolved. It's human to lose your eyesight crying over a child and you don't know what happened to him. It's human to be lost in tragedy when the people around you are emotionally abusive. That's human. Even a prophet is human at the end of the day. He felt all of those things. Fahuwa kaleem. You know, the, the sadness, the swallowing he had to do, all of that's been described. But when Allah brings him relief, which is what happened here, right? Allah brought him relief. The moment Allah brought him relief, instead of focusing on what has happened, the way, if you try to go inside the mind of this remarkable human being, what, how is he processing this? When the solution comes from Allah, when the healing comes from Allah, he is grateful to Allah, number one, that Allah has given him relief for all of that suffering. And he understands that that's a trial that was met. Yes, it was done by, at the hands of people. But there was wisdom from Allah and Allah has given him relief now. His number one priority is not to let, not to vent, is not to let out some steam that he's been holding in, is not to release pent up anger. His number one priority now that his trauma has been healed by Allah Himself is to restore the faith of his sons because as angry as they are, right now they are ashamed of what they did. And this is, this is when the iron is hot. I could use this opportunity to shame them and humiliate them and kick them out of the house and be angry at them and punish them or give them the cold shoulder. I can do all of those things. But right now I have an opportunity to do something that might change the rest of their lives for the better and they can stand in front of Allah with faces lit instead of faces dark. So I as a father have to decide, is my frustration with them stronger? Or is my desire to see them saved before Allah stronger? And with that remarkable faith in his heart and his mind, he says, didn't I tell you, I know from Allah what you don't know. Didn't I tell you not to lose hope in the mercy of Allah? Remember that? That I know from Allah something you don't know. Didn't I tell you, to, I, I'll keep Yusuf's hope in Yusuf alive. Didn't, didn't I tell you that Allah has given me, Allah allowed me to hear the dream from Yusuf's mouth himself. And I knew that's revelation from Allah, that it will come to pass. I know from Allah something you don't know. Didn't you realize I have a connection to Allah and an optimism with Allah and a hope in Allah? That never let me give up hope in Yusuf. And Allah is the one who sent me, uh, sent me the scent. I already knew from Allah what you didn't need, before the shirt even happened, I already knew. I already knew. I know from Allah what you don't know. Didn't I tell you to just 
Hold on to your faith in Allah the way I do. And if you're feeling ashamed right now, maybe you need to come back to Allah and get to know Him the way I do. This is the time for you all to come back to Allah. Not to come and apologize to me, but to come back to Allah. He didn't he say, didn't I tell you Yusuf is alive? Didn't I tell you I was right? Didn't I tell you you were liars? None of that. Didn't I tell you I know something from Allah? I've come to experience something from Allah that you don't know. Now, this is an important moment because I keep emphasizing and emphasizing and emphasizing that they're all Muslim. So they know Allah. They know Allah. They know about Allah. And what he knew from Allah, he told them that Yusuf is alive, that I have hope, that maybe Allah will bring them back together. He kept saying that. So they know what he knows. But how is he saying, I know what you don't know? Because there's different kinds of knowing. There's knowing cognitively up here. And there's knowing in your heart, for feeling the knowledge in your heart for something to be true. There's levels of conviction. There's knowing something to be true in your gut. It flows through your veins. It's a conviction that is like your lifeblood. And then there's passive knowledge that sits like a shelf in a corner in your brain somewhere. Yeah, yeah, we're Muslim. Yeah, we know. Yeah, judgment day, judgment day. I've come to experience the real knowledge of Allah. I really know who Allah is. The way you don't. You've never really known. You've, you've said the name Allah. You've prayed. You've uttered the azkar. You know about your fathers and their prophethood. But you haven't really, your heart hasn't known Allah the way I, I do. And now it's time that it does. It is, like he, he, he found the most profound moment to not make them ashamed of him but to make them ashamed before Allah. And that's the biggest gift a believer can give another believer. Inspire them to make tawbah. When you can hear somebody's words and you're not embarrassed to them, but their words are making you embarrassed to stand in front of Allah and apologize to Allah and make right with Allah. That is the best gift family can give to family or friends can give or Muslims can give each other. To remind each other of tawbah. To remind each other to have hope in Allah. To remind each other to be bonded to Allah. To cry to Allah. To find joy in Allah. To believe in the relief that Allah will bring. Man, that's what he wants for his kids. And he knows that if they do that, then all the wrongs they can make right. If they can just get to know Allah that way. This is the grandness of this man this father that goes beyond a grudge or the pain his children caused him or the grief that he suffered for so many years, he can put all that aside because there's something bigger in front of him. The legacy of his father, Ibrahim salam, who was concerned above all else for what will happen to his kids in the end. That, that's, that was his ultimate concern. So he said, إِنِّي أَعْلَمُ مِنَ اللَّهِ مَا لَا before I close today, I want to share with you um, an interesting contrast that you may have observed on your own, but it's good to spell it out. The two primary characters in this story that we are to follow and learn from as role models are Yusuf salam and Yaqub salam. These are the two people that inform, they're the pillars of the story, right? And they're the role models of the story you find something odd, almost odd, about the way Yaqub is talked about. 
After so much grief and Allah gives him relief, you don't find words of thanks. You don't find him thanking Allah here. Those words don't come. You find, whether said explicitly or you can imply it from the words he's using, you find a remarkable demonstration of patience. That's what you do find. But gratitude, you don't find the words here. You don't find the implication for gratitude, but you find the implication for an incredible amount of what? Patience. By contrast, when you study the, the depiction of Yusuf السلام, in the story, you're not going to find a lot of language surrounding or theme surrounding his sabr, even though sabr was always there. You do find his gratitude though. He's grateful in jail. He's grateful when he comes out of jail. He's grateful in any situation. Grateful, grateful, grateful. The, the, the theme that sticks like glue to Yaqub through the entire story, to Jacob, is patience. The theme that sticks to Yusuf through the entire story is what? Gratitude. Now the, here's the reality. Yaqub is both grateful and patient. He's both. And Yusuf is both grateful and patient. That's, that's the fact. These are facts. But what did Allah decide to do? He decided to depict patience surrounding one character. And lessons of patience surrounding the character of who? Yaqub even though we know that his gratitude is always there. You know in the Qur'an, sabbarun shakur, that the quality of a slave is someone who has tremendous patience, is also extremely grateful. Inna fi dhalika la kulli sabbarun shakur. Right? Um, Nuh alayhi salam, we know his, his incredible legacy, Nuh alayhi salam, when you look back at it, you will say that would be the role model in the Qur'an for what quality? Patience. 950 years, right? Well, how, how does Allah describe him? إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدًا shakura. <laughs> he was a grateful slave. Instead of saying إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدًا sabura or sabara, he says إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدًا shakura. To let us know, patience, uh, you know it, patience, his patience is obvious. But let me tell you the secret behind his patience, which is what? His gratitude. His gratitude gave him the strength to be patient. Okay. What I'm trying to get at is, patience and gratitude are actually two sides of the same coin. So let's talk about those two things for a moment. Let me just, instead of being philosophical or theological with you about these two enormities in the Qur'an, let's just make it super simple. You open up the fridge, you wanted to drink orange juice, and the orange juice isn't there. Come on! Where's the orange juice? You, ha you just experienced a, la a, a loss of what? Patience. But the moment you opened up and you wanted to get orange juice and you didn't see the orange juice but you only saw apple juice or you saw cold water or you saw and you said alhamdulillah I have something to drink there are so many who have nothing to drink and when they do they have to drink out of a puddle and there are people in the world who don't know what a fridge is well for them that's the life of kings and i have a choice of drinks and the fruit whose extract i'm drinking from this apple juice that fruit traveled countries and then went to a factory and somebody worked on squeezing it and some other factory worked on bottling it and a trucker made his living trying to deliver it and then I got to pick it up from this grocery store. Allah made that apple for me from that tree so I can, it can go down my throat. I am grateful. And when you're grateful, then that impatience disappears. In other words, gratitude makes what easy? Patience. 
Gratitude makes patience easy. They're, they're lazim and malzum. They're two sides of the same coin. That's one easy way of looking at it, right? Now, one of the most interesting features of the Quran that we learn in this uh, surah is as if these two people, Yaqub and Yusuf, are like one person. Like two dimensions of one personality. Because a person should be patient and a person should also be grateful. And what Allah does, He's not telling us that Yaqub isn't grateful, but He's going to highlight lessons of patience in the character of Yaqub. And then He will highlight the lessons of gratitude in the character of Yusuf as if to tell us the prophets and the people Allah talks about are so complementary to each other that they are, it's as if they are one body. Like, you know, the Ummah is described as one body. Here you have two prophets being described as one body, one spiritual body. And maybe this is going to inform our study of other surahs and other characters and other individuals in the Qur'an where Allah will highlight one thing about them, but there will be someone complementary where Allah will highlight something else about them. And you have to look at the two of them together to find the whole picture. You understand? So it's a really beautiful, unique, sophisticated feature of the Qur'an that Allah Azza wa does that. And He's done that here with, you know, because for Him to just say, I know from Allah what you don't. The choice of words here, the impatient choice of words were many. And it takes an incredible amount of sabr to choose these words, to overstep all of your negative feelings and to choose what will actually be of benefit to these children of Yaqub and these grandchildren of Yaqub, that this will be a lifelong teaching moment for them. Subhanallah. Inni a'lamu min Allahi ma la And you notice in the Qur'an, we don't find much more being said by him. We're going to find one more statement by him, and then the story doesn't actually talk about him. It doesn't talk about what he says. So the few things that Allah mentioned that he says must be of that vital importance. And it, it must be that I know from Allah something you don't know, which has been repeated multiple times now. I know Allah in a way that you don't know. It's one way of thinking about it. I know of Allah in a way that you don't know. Is a theme Allah wants us to nail into our hearts. Like if you walk away from this story and you say, I learned something about Yaqub salam, Well, the thing I learned about him, the anthem, the Yaqub salam anthem is, I know from Allah what you don't know. In other words, I have a hope in Allah, I, have, I find relief in Allah, I find my strength in Allah, I am grateful to Allah, which makes me strong in my patience to Allah, in a way that you don't realize, and it's okay. I'm going to, and I'll try to instill that in you. It's remarkable that these words came out of his mouth when they were shaming him, and these words are coming out of his mouth when they are actually apologizing to him. His stance doesn't change, he's saying the same thing. As a, He's a constant in the family. He's a pillar. He doesn't shake. Everybody else is wavering, but he's the he's the rajul of the household. He's the spiritual anchor of this household. So his words stay constant. And this is what we're taking away from it. This is a... Uh, and, and, and this is the last thing. Five minutes, inshallah, and I'm done. You see, the shirt is not Yusuf. <laughs> Seeing Yusuf, hugging Yusuf, kissing his forehead, crying on his shoulder, letting him cry on his chest, that's the actual moment of relief. The shirt itself is just a piece of cotton. It's not a person. 
It's not a family reunion. It's at the most, if you want to give it spiritual significance, it's a sign from Allah that relief is coming. Yeah? But it's not the relief itself. You understand that, right? Now think of it this way. If Yaqub alayhi salam, Allah decided to take his life and the angel of death came to him before he got back to Egypt. Imagine. Does he die sad or happy? He dies happy. Why? Because the relief, the grief he felt in his heart has already been removed by way of a shirt. Even though he actually never felt the relief itself. You understand that? In other words, there's a theme here. You, there, there is the actual joy and there is finding comfort in the guaranteed promise of joy. Let me take, take you away from Yaqub and I'll give you another example. There's a guy who's absolutely bankrupt. Now, doesn't even have food to eat for the next meal. And he gets a letter that next month you're going to get a million dollars. There's a long lost uncle of yours. Here's the, you know, here's the address. You're going to be handed this mansion and a million dollars and a lifelong income and all of this stuff. And he's going to be a millionaire in a month. For the next month he's still homeless. For the next month he's still... Got nothing, but he's got this letter. This government certified, legally certified letter. And even though he has one meal a day of one bite, everybody else is miserable around him. And he's like, Why are you so happy, bro? <laughs> I know something you don't know. I got something that's a guarantee of something that will give me relief in the future, right? Well, he got a letter from the government or a lawyer or something like that, and he has confidence in it. The promise to Yaqub came from who? It came from Allah. And even before the promise is filled, his heart is filled with joy. Yes or no? Believers have been promised forgiveness. Jannah. That their deeds will be counted. That if they make sincere tawbah, that Allah will recognize that. That no effort they ever make will go wasted. In this life, surrounded by misery, surrounded by deprivation, surrounded by loss, there's this promise of Allah. The faith we have in Allah and the promise of Allah's words, the, 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 this Qur'an is like the shirt whose scent is constantly giving us relief. We're not in Jannah. We haven't gotten the, we haven't gotten the forgiveness, but the promise of how to earn it and the honor of being able to do a good deed. And every, you see, imagine the caravan traveling to Yusuf again. Every step that the camel takes, every step that the horse takes, every tree that Yaqub passes by, I'm getting closer to my son. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. I'm get, how much longer? How much longer? Every step, step, step he takes closer to the fulfillment of Allah's promise brings him more joy. Yes or no? In a spiritual sense, perhaps we're learning that every step we take to serve our master, every step we take to pray, every day we get the honor of praying Fajr, of Dhuhr, of Asr, of Maghrib, of Isha. Every time we take one step, we're getting closer to Allah's promise towards us. Every time we chose the higher road and we didn't backbite, every time we chose to tell the truth, every time we chose to earn the honest living and not lie, Every time we tried, we, 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 we walked away from you know, evil. Every time we walked away from making bad assumptions. Every time we walked away from the temptation of saying something wrong and we didn't say it. 
Every one of those is a step towards Allah's promise. And every step towards Allah's promise is, is supposed to bring us what? Joy. Because, and everybody else around us are like, they'll feel like you're missing out. Why are you happy? Because inni a'lamu min Allahi ma la I've come to know something about Allah that you haven't experienced yet. I am overjoyed that I get the opportunity to serve my Rabb. To, to do something that makes me closer to the fulfillment of His promise of forgiveness. To make, makes me more, I pray Allah accepts it so that I can see Him and I can find the relief in Him that He's guaranteed me, that He's, that he's offering me. I, I pray Allah makes, doesn't make it, you know, let it get washed away. And even if in this world the relief I was looking for never comes, I know that Allah has given me this relief. So I will, I will leave this world happy because Allah's promise is always true. So there's a, there's a worldly relief and a hope in worldly relief. And there's also a spiritual dimension to this phrase that informs our lives. It gives value to nothing being a waste. Nothing being a waste. Some of you dropped out of school. You couldn't finish. Some of you lost your business. It didn't work out. And some of you, your marriage failed. Some of you, your children ran away from you. Some of you, your siblings won't ever talk to you again. All of us have different kinds of catastrophes in our lives. And doesn't matter what that catastrophe was. It doesn't matter what that hardship was. Whatever that hardship was, if through that hardship, we were still able to obey Allah and take a step towards Allah, then you know what? When we stand in front of Allah, we're going to be like, those were the best opportunities in my life. What everybody else will see as failure and disaster will be a, a secret source of joy for us because we're getting closer to Allah. He's bringing us closer to Him. Sometimes tears caused by human beings lead to tears in front of Allah and those are the most valuable things you'll take in front of Allah on Judgment Day. Nothing I bring in front of Allah will be more valuable than the emotions I felt from my heart when I worshipped Him. And sometimes He just wants me to do that. Sometimes He puts me through it so that I recognize who my Rabb really is, who's really in control. I can't control people. I can't control who loves me and who hates me. I can't control what people are going to do to me. I can't control any of that. That's always been in my Rabb's hands. What I can control is how, hard, how connected my heart is to Allah. That I can control. And when I can steer myself towards Allah, man, the doors He will open, the relief He will bring, the scent He will bring my way, the joy He will bring. May Allah Azawajal really give us a life of joy rooted in the promise of Allah made to us in His book. May Allah Azawajal make us of those who really find their hearts content in His words and are able to stand before Allah on Judgment Day with these words of Allah being a testimony in our favor and not a testimony against us. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. I'm not doing the sinking.